Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. A person is convinced that they need the Lord Jesus Christ when they see themselves as a sinner and not a just person. But the Lord Jesus Christ uses a word, very important word in Mark 2.17 when he says, and Jesus heard it, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no, have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, and that's the word, they that are sick, I came to call the righteous sinners to repentance, came, came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That means before a person comes to repentance, he's got to see himself as sick, severely sick in his soul, with a severe sickness of the soul. And then God leads a person to repentance. God's will is for everyone to come to repentance. Come to repentance. He says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. He's patient. Just word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He uses the word come. Sorrow is the first step. Keep coming. Keep coming. Don't stop there. God say, don't stop with sorrow, come to repentance. Once a soul has recognized that he's sick and in need of a cure, then there is a commitment where the person says, I've got to deny the desires of my soul that led me to sin, which the Lord Jesus Christ expressed in Matthew 16, 24, Matthew 16, 24, when he said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Paul looks at himself. He sees all this part that led him into sin. He says, I hate it. I hate that part of myself. I hate the part that loves sin, he says in Romans 7.21. Romans 7.21. He says, I find a law. When I do good, evil is present with me. I delight in the law of God in the, after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. It's in me. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of this death? Repentance is to hate that part of us called the flesh that finds pleasure in sin. It says, I find it rather enjoyable. I like it. Repentance or metaneo is a change of mind. It's a recognition that the natural way we think and the way we feel, that's not God's way of thinking and God's way of feeling. What he said in Isaiah 55, 8, Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So what this verse really describes here is a conflict. There's a conflict in thinking ways, thinking and ways. God says, look, your natural thoughts and your ways, they're not mine. 
They're not my thoughts and ways. So the question is, who's going to win? Whose thoughts and ways is it going to be with you? Are we going to change our thoughts and ways to get on God's page? That's repentance. Or are we going to expect God to change his thoughts and ways to get on our page? Or we're not going to care. See, God's thoughts and ways lead to life. As the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 10.10, I am come that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. But by contrast, our natural thoughts and our ways lead to death, as described in Proverbs 14.12. Proverbs 14.12, there's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So in order for us to get this change of mind, You know, to think God's thoughts and to adopt God's ways, or let's just say adopt, adopt, adopt God's ways and thoughts, we have to experience a transformation of our mind, which is what the Bible calls a renewal of the mind in in Romans 12. Romans 12, 1, you know, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, or as Philip puts it, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So during World War II, I think I may have told you this, when the British troops were being shipped out to fight the Germans, the Nazis, they were one of the ports where they were shipped out of, on the west side of Cardiff, Wales. And Stephen Olford was an army chaplain. And he would meet with the troops. That was part of his job, meet with the troops before they were shipped out. In one of his meetings, he was teaching the men about repentance. And he asked the soldiers, what do you think repentance means? And one soldier said, I can illustrate it, sir. And he said, okay. So he gets up. The soldier got up out of his seat, came up to the platform and said, and he starts marching across the platform. says, I'm marching. I'm marching along. And all of a sudden, I hear God say, soldier, halt. (laughs) And I halt. And then I hear God say, soldier, about face. And I turn about face, and then I hear God say, soldier, march, and I march. And then he says, that's what repentance is, sir. And he sat down. <laughs> Pretty good. You know, that's exactly what repentance is. It's a hearing God's call, stop, turn around, follow God. So repentance is looked at as a party spoiler today. You know, it leads to miserable life, you know, miserable life. But just the opposite is true. Repentance leads to real life, as it says in Acts eleven eighteen. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they held their peace, glorified God, saying, "Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life." And it says in Acts eleven eighteen, "To the Gentiles granted repentance to life." So there's two turnings that are involved with repentance. There's a turning from sin to God. It's always a both. Always the both are together. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, it says, and you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And this is what Paul told the Athenians in Acts. He said, Acts 14, 15, he said, Sirs, why do you these things? We are also men of like passions like you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things therein. When Paul, King Agrippa, and Paul was on trial, and King Agrippa was expecting Paul to explain what he did. He did in Acts 26, 17. And he said, God said he was going to deliver me from the people, from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. And then he says that he was called to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan 
unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that's in me. So the Lord Jesus expresses this direction. It's a direction of repentance. He said, the time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand in Mark 1.15. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So for a person to really repent and believe, then he's got to believe that God is good, that God will receive him, that God will heal him, that God will, will, will give him life. And when Israel as a people finally comes to the place of returning to Jehovah Jesus in Hosea 6.1, their conversation is recorded for us in Hosea 6.1, where they say, come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Now, repentance, as sorrow, repentance, this is all missing in Hamor and Shechem when they come to Jacob. So Hamor comes to Jacob, his sons come, they've got this offer in verse 10 that, uh, you know, we're going to dwell with us, the land's in front of you, you're going to trade, you get possessions. See, their offer is get you possessions therein. Their offer is get rich. Get rich offers should raise a red flag for us. That's what Satan offered the Lord Jesus in Matthew 4, 9, Matthew 4, 9, say that to all these things will I give thee if thou fall down and worship me. All these things will I give thee, and to Jacob in verse 10, and get you possessions. Now, when you look at verse 10, it says, you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you, dwell and trade there and get you possessions. Okay, what do you see good about Hamar? We always say bad things about him, but what do you see good about him in verse 10? Yeah, he wants to share the wealth. And he's also used this word dwell. Dwell. In other words, again, peaceful coexistence. Now, in verse 11 and 12, we see Shechem, he steps forward. Shechem himself. This is a dangerous move. This is the man. This is the offender. And he steps right out. He makes himself vulnerable by offering to do anything he could to marry Dinah. Said unto her, you know, verse 11 and 12, let me find grace in your eyes. What you shall say, I will I give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift. I will give according as you shall say. So when Shechem said he would do anything to get their acceptance for him to marry Dinah, he put his head in the chopping block. That's what happened. Now, if you were Jacob, what would you have said if you were Jacob in this situation? Would you have condemned him for what he did? Or let me put it this way. If you were Jacob, and you're hearing this, there's something that Shechem said that would have caught your attention, especially in verse 11. And tell me what it is. You look at, at verse 11, and then look back at the chapter before, chapter 33 and verse 10, and tell me what should have caught your attention if you were Jacob from chapter 34, 11, where we are, and chapter 33, 10. Yeah, let me find favor. Let me find grace in your eyes, see? He said in verse 11, let me find for grace. And what did he say in verse 3310? Yeah, he's using the same words. See, Jacob had said the same words to Esau that Shechem was saying to him. It was a plea to find grace or favor in the eyes. So when Jacob heard Shechem say that, he should have realized, hey, I said those same words to Esau. I know how Shechem feels. I've been there. Jacob should have forgiven Shechem because Jacob was where Shechem was. When Jacob heard Shechem say those same words to him, Jacob that Jacob had said to Esau, 
He should have done to Shechem what Esau did to him. Forgive him. When someone has offended us, we need to stop and think about how we offended God and we wanted God to forgive us. What parable that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke applies here? That's right. The debtor. In Matthew 18, 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. It's an enormous amount. But for as much as he had not, it's about, in today's money, maybe close to $3 billion. It's huge. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife, his children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. Listen to the words. Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant with loose compassion loosed him, forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which sold him a hundred pence, about $5,000. And he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat and said, pay me the thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Exactly the same words. And he would not. Went out, cast him in prison until he should pay the debt. Fellow servant saw what was done. Very sorry. Came, told their Lord all was done. His Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou have compassion on thy fellow servant, is that I have pity on thee? The Lord was wroth, the liberty of the tormentors, should pay all that was done. So likewise, shall my heavenly Father also do unto you, if you forgive, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone as brother that trespasses. Same words. Same words. Have patience with me, I will patience with me, I will pay thee all. That's where Jacob is now in verse 11. He's hearing Shechem say the same words that he said to Esau. The point is, is that when someone has offended us, we need to see ourselves in that person and forgive him because we need forgiveness, as the Lord Jesus Christ said to the men ready to stone the woman in John 8, 7. John 8, 7, when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that's without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Now, what else should Jacob had seen in Shechem and recognized to be just like himself? Let's consider some of the ways here. First of all, in verse 11, we say this. For Shechem, it was the request of, let me find grace in your eyes. For Jacob, it was the request of Genesis 32.5, when he sent the gift. I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find grace in thy sight. Same words. In Genesis 33, 8, it was Jacob. These are to find grace in thy sight of my Lord. In Genesis 33, 10, it was Jacob who said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, receive my present at thy hand. In Genesis 33, 15, again, it was Jacob who said, What needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. Same words. For Shechem, he stepped way out of line. In verse 2, 34, 2, Shechem, the son of the Hamor, he saw her, he took her. Okay? But for Jacob, he stepped way out of line. In Genesis 29, 10, came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, that Jacob kissed Rachel. For Shechem, it was all about his love. In verse 3, and he loved the damsel. Genesis 34, 3. For Jacob, it was all about his love. In Genesis 29, 18, and Jacob loved Rachel. For Shechem, he would do anything to get the love of his life. 
in verse 19. And the young man deferred not to do the thing because he had delight in Jacob's daughter. But for Jacob, he would do anything to get the love of his life. In Genesis 29, 20, Genesis 29, 20, Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed unto him for a few days for the love he had to her. See, for Shechem, he couldn't live without her. In verse 12 of our chapter, give me the damsel to wife. Well, for Jacob, he couldn't live without her. In Genesis 29, 21, 29, 21, for Jacob said unto Laban, give me my wife. For Shechem, he had this focus in verse two, he saw her, he took with her, he lay with her. For Jacob, it's the same focus in verse 29, chapter 29, verse 21. Give me my wife that I may go in unto her. See, all these similarities that Jacob should have seen so much of himself in Shechem and asked himself, how can I condemn him? I might as well condemn myself. I see myself in him. That was the basis for Jacob to have forgiven Shechem. And Jacob was tricked. He was deceived by Laban. It cost him a home of trouble. Shechem was tricked. He was deceived by Jacob's sons. It cost Shechem and his people their lives. But Jacob should have taken control of his sons. He should have been the one that said, okay, listen, boys, he that's without sin, let him swing the sword first. Now, we're not saying here that Jacob should have consented to allow Dinah to become Shechem's wife and to intermarry, as proposed in verse 9. But when Shechem and his people were all killed by Jacob's son, they didn't allow God to work because they were killed. And we don't know what God might have done in Shechem and his people because John 3.16 applies to them. For God so loved the world, including Shechem and his people, gave his only begotten son. So God always has provided a way for the lost around the people of Israel to renounce their idolatry and become a part of Israel, as happened with the Egyptians when Israel left Egypt in Exodus 12, 37, where it says, and the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. Verse 38 of Genesis 12 says, and a mixed multitude went up also with them. Who was the mixed multitude? They were Egyptians who joined themselves to Israel. That's why all the Jewish people look Egyptian. (laughs) That was God's way for the lost outside of Israel to be saved and become a part of the people of God. That was God's way to graft Gentiles into Israel. And in this case, the possibility was open for a Gentile Shechem and his people to be grafted into Israel because of their interest, because of an interest in the opposite sex. It's not so far-fetched for God to make that kind of provision. He said about that in Deuteronomy 21.10. He said, when thou goest to war against thine enemies and the Lord thy God hath delivered them into thy hands and thou hast taken them captive and thou seest among the captives a beautiful woman and hast a desire unto her, that's the word hashak, He says, that thou wouldst have her to be thy wife, then thou shalt bring her home to thine house. She shall shave her head, pare her nails, put the raiment of her captivity off of her, remain in thy house, and bewail her father and her mother a full month. And after that, thou shalt go in unto her and be her husband. She shall be thy wife. And we could say a full 100% part of Israel. What's that part about bewail the father and the mother full month? What's that all about? That's repentance. 
That's repentance of idolatry. That's repentance for her uh, regarding her idolatrous parents and turning to God. Then this beautiful Gentile wife is grafted into Israel. The idea of coming into the kingdom of God by an initial interest in one of the opposite sex, it's not so far-fetched. That was the case in my life. That was the case as I came into the kingdom of God through an initial interest in a beautiful Gentile girl who became my wife. God oftentimes works through this channel to bring the lost to repentance. What Jacob's sons did was very sad as they cut off any possibility for Shechem and his people to come into the kingdom of God when they killed them. This is very bad. And in verse 13, when we read that the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, the father, deceitfully because he defiled Dinah, their sister. They're all fixated on this, defiled Dinah, their sister. The deceit that the sons of Jacob used was unbelievable. They used the sacred sign of circumcision, the sign of the covenant. That was an outward sacred sign that God gave to Abraham for a person to show that he had inwardly turned to God. They used the sacred sign to hide their intention. Very bad. And in verse 14, they stressed the importance of the circumcision when they said, we can't do this thing, give our sister to one that's uncircumcised, a reproach to us. And then they make this promise in verse 16 that you will become one people, which was really the only hope for Shechem and his people to know God if they abandoned their idolatry and repented and became one people with Israel. And now we see something very interesting. In, in, first, of all, you have to see, first we look in verse 14. They said unto her, we cannot do this thing to give our what? Verse 14. We cannot do this thing to give our, our sister. Okay, of course, it's the brothers, right? But they keep speaking in verse 17. And now they say in verse 17, we will not hearken unto us to be circumcised that you will take our what? Our daughter, our daughter. (laughs) You take our daughter. How did the brother's sister become the brother's daughter? You know, well, what we see happening here is a course. There's a course in this conversation of a growing usurping of Jacob's authority. When the brothers start by calling Dinah, which she is, their sister, and then proceed in the conversation and get three verses later and call her their daughter, you can see how these sons are just pushing Dinah's father, Jacob, out of the way. And they're taking the place of Dinah's father. And they say, she's our daughter. And Jacob let it happen. And we can see the extent of this deception. In verse 21, it's terrible to read these things. When Hamor and Shechem, they were sucked into the deception. They said, these men are peaceable with us. They really believed that the sons of Jacob were peaceable. This is terrible. Anyway, the lessons that we get out of this chapter as we see it is to don't judge others until you first have a look at yourself and recognize the same things in us. Forgive and hope for those who have offended to come and be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for being a God who loves and forgives and and cleanses and brings into your kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that we would never be guilty of this self-righteous judging and accusing others, Lord, but that we would forgive our enemies as you've called us to and pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand-new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and the entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.